Welcome back to Podcast Parables. I'm your host, Courtney Lee, and I am super stoked you're back for this week's episode. We've been walking through different stories from the first generation church, and it has been so good to see some of their perspectives in those early days of building the foundation of how we worship our living Savior even today. Podcast Parables is a place for stories from the Bible told from a first person point of view. It's taking what is written within the pages of the word and allowing ourselves to imagine what could be with what was not recorded. As we like to say, it's not quite the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it is a modern take on the heart of scripture. (laughs) We value exploration and interaction with the Bible and an encouragement to go back to it yourself to see what is really written there, which is exactly where our story will begin today. In Acts chapter 17, Paul arrives in Berea and finds a group of believers committed to doing just that. This is their story. Enjoy. It is so. Just as Master Paul said, Berea is a special place full of special people. Now that I have traveled with Paul all over the world, I am more understanding. But even then, when it was just us, it still felt special. All of us at the synagogue wanted the same thing. To be sure, what we received and gave out was the truth. Due to the nature of humanity, coupled with the Roman government and Greek philosophy, We felt there had to be an absolute commitment to the scriptures, to the truth. We could not be people who were going to be swayed with every new impassioned speaker who scrolled through town. And there were a lot of them. If we catered to each one of their, quote, truths, we would be confused and misled and, to quote Paul, we would be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We had to stand for truth. And the reason that it worked for us as, say, compared to Thessalonica, is that we stuck to it. Not in some prideful, um, you're wrong and we're right sort of way, but in a way that searched the scriptures for the teaching to see if it lined up or not. If it didn't, we moved along, not allowing the mistruths to fill our minds and hearts. It only took a few times of us standing in solidarity for the truth of God's word to be taken seriously. That's the thing about taking a stand. Once is a great start and often enough. But there will most likely come a time where you will have to choose if you're willing to keep standing even if it costs you something. Paul came to us, having been smuggled out of Thessalonica in the dark of the night, to avoid another uproar. He came to us, 60 miles southwest, 
to the foothills of a forest-clad mountain. Berea was a very pleasant and prosperous city. One of our claims to fame was our ample supply of water. We basically had water running in every street in well-constructed channels. It was a beautiful city with wonderful people, although Paul knew not one bit of that yet. One would think that perhaps Paul would have tired of synagogues at this point in his journeys. But no matter how bitterly the Jews continued to persecute him, he always marched forward in faith. He fiercely believed in his calling to proclaim Jesus to the remnant, the true Israel, those awaiting the good news of the gospel of Christ. I don't know how many times I heard him utter in prayer or in speech. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Even if it is just one or two, these people, these remnants, became the nucleus of the church in each city we visited. We were glad to have Paul and Silas and Timothy, but we were not gullible. Some of the speakers that would come to us could be highly offendable and defensive at our commitment to searching the scriptures in response to their talks with us. But Paul, he, he welcomed it. His gospel could stand the test of any amount of cross-examination because, well, it was the truth. And truth dispels all fear, and we were wholly and completely committed to it. We were not looking for a convincing or even a charisma. We were looking for the truth. Scripture study was the backbone of our synagogue. Men and women poured over the sacred page, comparing scripture to scripture to see if Paul's Jesus was indeed the Christ. We have come to find the immense harvest bearing much fruit as a result of this commitment to scripture. It was our way, and Paul was delighted by it. His smile came alive as well as his speech. Obviously, we had heard only stories about this man God chose to save in such an incredible way, but to hear it from his own mouth was something else entirely. This man made our study of the word come alive. His words wove together the story of the Torah into the stories of Jesus and into the stories of us in this day. All of it working together for God's glory and his good. I re remember distinctly one of his final talks with us there in Berea. He said, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord, they are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive in innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. 
I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And true to form, and sooner than we all would have liked. Word reached back to Thessalonica that Paul was not only here, but received well here. The ill-tempered and unbelieving Jews were infuriated when they learned that they did not, in fact, silence our Paul at all. And here, they came down the road, ready to wreak havoc and cause mischief, determined to muster a mob and incite a riot against him. It baffled us, angered us, saddened us. What was it these Jews had heard about Paul that so infuriated them? Was he preaching anti-Semitism and inflaming people against Jews? Was he endangering them by urging the synagogues to join in a massive revolt against Rome? Was he tempting the authorities by inciting a slave revolt or preaching insurrection against Rome? No! He was preaching the word of God. That is what infuriated them. They did not want it themselves, nor did they want anyone else to have it, and that is what spurred them on against Paul. Had he come with Hillel's philosophies, they would have received him as a scholar. But because he came preaching God's word with grace and power, they hated him. We, on the other hand, had checked and double-checked his sources. We had pushed and prodded him for more evidence and evaluation. We had walked alongside him to bear witness to his character and motivations, and every single thing checked out. And we tried to explain but as you well know, it, it's difficult to bargain with an angry mob of impassioned people. It went from concerning to dangerous very quickly and as much as we didn't want to. We needed to protect Paul and the message he was called to spread by sending him on his way. I was the one charged with attending him on his way. Silas and Timothy stayed with the others in Berea still having work to do there with those who hadn't yet heard this good news of the saving work of Jesus Christ. To further insulate us from the potential of violence, I worked out a plan to make it appear as if we were headed to the coast. But instead, we set out on the road toward Athens. And just as Paul had a conversion experience on the road to Damascus, I had my own on this road to Athens, shoulder to shoulder with my brother Paul, as he and I walked and talked. All my years of study came to a blinding clarity in my mind. I no longer had to look at the law and the coverings of our religious regulations. I could look to Christ 
and his covering over me. <laughs> I told this to Paul as we walked, and he smiled at me as he said, This, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. Something like scales fell from my eyes as I understood for the first time what Jesus did for me. Not just for the collective us, but for me, busted up sinful old me, and that knowing has freed me. I knew immediately that I would not go back to Berea. Not even to say goodbye to my beloved family and friends in the synagogue. I would give my life in service to Jesus, walking alongside Paul in his journeys as aid in any way he might need. Athens would not be an easy city, but the truth is, taught to me by Paul himself, goes like this. Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, forever. Amen. A couple of cool behind-the-scenes things about this passage. The first of which is, Luke's actual word for describing the Berean people is eugenesteres. The prefix EU in Greek implies excellence or exceptional goodness. We still use it in English today in words like eulogy, euphemistic, euphoria, euphemism, etc. to indicate high or superlative quality. The word genesteres, a form of genomai, means born ones. Genesis and genetics is modern English to use the same root word. Together, the prefix EU and the root word genomai mean high-born or exceptionally created. Such a description is fitting for those born into, let's say, English England's royal family. So does Luke mean that the people they met in the synagogue were members of some Greek royal family of the day? No. And he gives two reasons for his choice of this word. One, they received Paul's message with great eagerness, unlike the skepticism that had greeted them in other cities from the leaders of the synagogues. And two, they were serious students of their scriptures. 
In Luke's eye, these folks were princes among men when it came to their reception of the gospel. So cool on the wording on that. The second neat behind the scenes thing is that there is a high likelihood that the man from Berea whom this episode is based on was named Sopater or Sopater or even Sosipater. He is said to be a Christian of Berea who accompanied Paul from Greece to Asia on his way to Syria. Mention of his father's name, Pyrrhus, is unusual in the New Testament and may suggest that he was of noble birth. As a kinsman or fellow countryman of Paul, Sopater joined him in sending salutations to the saints in the following references, the first of which is Acts 20, verse 4. It says, several men were traveling with him, or Paul. They were Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And the second reference is from Romans 16, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings, as does Lu- Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, in reading this, just love how God weaves his story together throughout the totality of scripture. Personally, I may not get all the details I want for each story I read, but as I read more, and study more and keep turning page after page after page, God has been faithful to reveal his story in greater and more intimate ways through his own word. I love this quote by Spurgeon, which says, nearness to God brings likeness to God. The more you see God, the more of God will be seen in you. So may that be true in all of our stories today, friends. right that just about does it for podcast parables today but i really do want y'all to stay connected so be sure to hop on over to instagram to follow us there at podcast underscore parables or follow me courtney lee at courtney lee 2020 both of those handles are listed in the show notes if you can't remember or didn't have time to write it down. I wanted you to know that you can also join the financial support team by clicking the link in the show notes at the very bottom. To keep the stories rolling over here, people graciously give each month. And what's great is that it only takes about 60 seconds to fill out the form online. And the cost really is, um, you can choose one sausage biscuit from McDonald's or maybe one cup of fancy coffee at your favorite cafe or even one value meal price at your favorite fast food joint. It's one, five, or ten easy dollars per month, and that sacrifice on your part lets this ministry continue to grow and thrive. Consider today if God might be calling you to join the Podcast Parables team. Well, just one more Gen 1 episode next week, and then we have a super fun Podcast Parables birthday party episode. Woohoo! And after that, we will dive right into our fifth season on the Queen herself. Esther. I can't wait. Thanks for listening, friends. I do not take it for granted that my voice is in your ears right now or in your speakers. It's now your turn to go find some story in the ordinary, diving back into the word just like those good Bereans we heard from today. Signing off for now, Courtney Lee, your podcast Parables host. <laughs>